6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Well, the powers that are inside the Emergencies Act, it's been tweaked compared to its predecessor, the War Measures Act, of course. The power to ban public assembly in certain locations uh, deemed critical to Canada's economy, like border crossings and airports and the like. That power being used in the Emergencies Act, that I understand. But what I'd like to dig into now are the financial powers within the Emergencies Act. Those powers are frankly scary to me, but I want to get an expert opinion on this. That's why Dr. Andreas Park is joining us this afternoon. Dr. Park is a professor of finance out of the University of Toronto. Professor Park, uh, thank you for being here this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me, Ted, and Andreas is fine. Andreas, sounds good. Thank you. So, Andreas, what are your thoughts about the financial powers that are within the Emergencies Act? No, I fully agree with you. I find that very, very scary. Um, you know, it's it's an odd decision that you involve a private sector company to essentially do law enforcement activities. In fact, actually, not even law enforcement activities. You actually make them, you know, make determinations of risks and then freeze accounts for people based on their own assessment without a due process without a, a conviction of any kind. I, wow, this is really scary. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 a couple of things I, I want to dig into a little bit there. So um, I, I guess checks and balances, uh, Andreas. Have you come across any checks and balances yet to make sure that, you know, innocent Canadians, regular everyday businesses don't get kind of caught up in all of this? actually so i've asked myself the same and i'm trying to read what you read on the news too and all that you hear is you know that the government says that well if you feel like you've been wrongly your account has been wrongly frozen then you should contact your bank to get this sorted out but you know at the end of the day what you you know what they're also doing is they're insulating the banks for any wrongdoing that may arise in the process of doing this so in other words there's really they're really not accountable to anybody so you can't call a court or judge. You basically have to go to your bank and beg them if you get frozen without any reason, you know, not to, to unfreeze you. And you have to argue with them to, to do this. And if you've wow. ever tried to deal with a banker, you know, when there is, <laughs> I mean, just think about the, the practicality of it. You have to go or call a call center, you know, or you have to go to your teller who's like a 22-year-old who has to call the manager and the manager goes, well, I don't know this, where this is coming from. And I'm not going to do it because policy. <laughs> yeah, like, I know, you know, I know. It's so, just, so many you know, questions, that the, the ways this could go wrong. Yes, yeah, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ted, but, you know, the, the number of ways this couldn't go wrong. It's just uh, there's more ways how this can go wrong than it could go right, if you ask me. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so Andreas, what do you know about, um, um, I guess, the guidelines or the markers or the thresholds that financial institutions are going to be using to decide you know, about how and when to freeze or not freeze. Do, do, you, do you know much about that? Well, I know a little bit, although, again, the, the instructions that you hear so far are not very clear about this. So under normal circumstances, money services businesses, um, which is a pretty broad, uh, you know, description includes banks, credit unions, insurance companies, uh, mortgage, uh, you know, realtors, for instance. Uh, there's, there's lots of different entities that are involved with this. Um, they have pin track reporting requirements. So the idea there is you want to prevent terrorist financing and uh, money laundering. 
So the FinTrack uh, barrier is usually $10,000, um, and then you have to keep records of transactions, including cryptocurrency transactions and the like, um, I think over $3,000. So you need to record where it's from, who it's from, and where it's going. I have not heard that uh, these kind of rules are the ones that uh, that have to be looked at now because, you know, at the end of the day, it seems like they actually um, want to go for lower amounts, right? Because um, because the the existing uh, thresholds already exist as syntax requirements. Um, yeah, so and, and the, the lower thresholds, I'm assuming, Andreas, are because they want to freeze the accounts of anyone who may have been involved in the blockades, right? Yeah, it is. But just think about the practicalities again. So, for instance, um, they're leaving this to the banks to make a determination. So now, just I mean, I'm not sure if you ever had something like uh, your credit card temporarily blocked for some reason. So that happens, for instance, when you go and travel and then use your, your credit card out of the country or in a province that you've not been in for a while. And there is no record, for instance, of you having bought a ticket to go to a particular place. So now, I mean, yeah, I'm from Ontario, right? So imagine you go from Toronto and you travel to Windsor um, and you haven't been there for a while. Is that enough for you to get blocked? Because, you know, you could buy stuff in Windsor and maybe you're going to try to block the bridge there, the ambassador bridge. Is, is that how the banks are going to do it? Is, is, um, is it, if, you know, if you go to Ottawa on this weekend or you're going close to Ottawa and you're driving there and you pay for gas on the way, is that enough to get blocked? It's, um, it's, it's not clear at all to me, actually, how this will be implemented in practice. But the, the process will probably involve some algorithm running in the background and then checking, you know, according to certain risk criteria of whether or not it's possible that you would be a supporter of these uh, blockades and, and protests. Yeah, it's just it's just a head scratcher for me, Andreas, for sure. Another example that just kind of jumps out is, um, you know, say there's a person uh, or, or, you know, an everyday company, that type of thing, and say uh, I'm transferring money to company X because they did some work for me, a service or whatever. But it turns out without my knowledge that the owner of company X is financially linked to a blockade or a protest or a demonstration. I mean, my legitimate payment for services may be misconstrued as a donation to this owner of Company X, and then this owner is kind of transferring the money to the protests, and so I may be kind of caught up as a protester by proxy. This, I mean, I guess this is an example of something that may happen. That's a very good example. Exactly. That, that's essentially what could happen to you, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and if you think of the consequences of that, they are very significant, right? So, I mean, freezing the account is painful. Um, but then, you know, mortgage payments are not going through, rent payments are not going through, insurance payments are not going through, car loan payments are not going through, your salary may not arrive. This is long-term consequences. Probably banks will also keep a record of, of such activities. So you're going to be flagged probably for the next few years. You may not, your credit score may drop. You may not get a new mortgage if you if you get flagged for this. Yeah. So in many ways, what I'm trying to say is, is that, the process of being frozen uh, and being flagged by the banks is already a punishment, and this comes for people who have not been convicted of a crime. It seems, you know, I mean, this, uh, you know, this seems wrong on so many different levels. Uh, it's, it's really, it's, I cannot believe this, honestly. Yeah, but absolutely. I, you know, let me say this, actually. I think this is something which actually is important for Canadians to understand, is this, um, this particular type of monitoring and if, 
essentially preemptive punishment of some form is, is something actually a lot of people in Canada face on a daily basis. So my students, for instance, oftentimes receive payments from abroad, right, because I have lots of international students. And when you receive payments from abroad, you're kind of uh, a suspect by, by, by definition because you're not Canadian. And, uh, you know, a lot of students get hassled quite significantly just to get, you know, the money from one country to another to, to pay for tuition and for their own living expenses. So, you know, we have already set up our financial system conceptually to do the job of law enforcement, such as it is. It's just now we're applying this to Canadians. Yeah. It's a head scratcher for sure, Andreas. Uh, thank you so much for the conversation this afternoon. I appreciate your input. Thank you for this. Oh, no, my pleasure. Uh, you have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you, Andreas. That's uh, that's actor, uh, Dr. Andreas Park, Professor of Finance out of the University of Toronto. It uh, seems like Andreas is in the same boat as me. I, I find these financial powers very intimidating and scary. And this is why I find the use of the act so heavy-handed. You know, I get the power of banning public assembly in certain locations that are deemed critical to the economy. You know, border crossings, highways, airports, etc., etc. Those powers I get. Those seem reasonable to me. But giving financial institutions power to decide what of my banking activity may be connected to protests or not... That's scary. What if a mistake is made, as we heard Andreas talking about? My accounts get frozen. All right, I don't get my paycheck. My mortgage payment isn't made. I'm now flagged for years by my financial institution, all because it was a mistake. It impacts me applying for credit cards, future loans, maybe getting student loans for my kids, etc., etc., etc. But what do you think about this? Are you afraid of the financial powers within the Emergencies Act? Why? Or why not? Call in now to weigh in. 403-974-8255-780-496-0063. Are you okay with the federal government using the Emergencies Act and the financial powers included within? 